0: Lord, we come again today to worship you with all of our hearts. We have so much to be grateful for, and we are so frequently unaware of it. Today, we've heard that there are people out there who are suffering because they serve. And so, Lord, we join in prayer for them and with them. We realize, Lord, that in the midst of our chaos, in the midst of our troubles, we have them to turn to, and they are the answer to our prayer. When we are in trouble, we pray for help, and more often than not, the help you send comes in a uniform. And so, Lord, we pray that all of those who wear uniforms in the service of others would feel your special blessing now Inspire in us a dignity and respect for them. Not because, Lord, of patriotism or because of of a sense of loyalty to the people we know in those positions. Those are good reasons, but we pray, Lord, that you would inspire us to be that way as an expression of Christ in us. There are certain people in our world, our homes, and our lives who desire and deserve a greater witness to the Christ within us. And so we pray, Lord, that you might provide us with a living testimony that we can express as we are in the presence of those who serve, and in the presence of our loved ones at home. If we serve you in no other way, let us be your witnesses to those who are in the greatest need of a witness from us. Fill us now with your Holy Spirit once again, Lord, as we pray together and join in the words that Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Now, we're going to take a quick visit again to our passage that we've been reading from ephesians 5 15 to 21. you you can turn to that if you like Uh, i'm not going to read it today just for for uh expedience i want you to just keep it open for reference though as we return to paul's letter to the ephesians and this time i want to address a fundamental question this is still our series about uh, men and their families and so It is relevant to what Jan shared and what you'll hear next week. And it is uh, the fundamental question that a lot of Christ followers ask, which is what is God's will for my life? What's God's plan for me? Most people want to know that. They really want to know that. And it really comes down to whether or not you're willing to accept the answer. And we're gonna talk about that a moment, but Right now, just understand that you hear the word will used quite a bit in church. We often talk about God's will, and it just means God's desire or intention. Um, That is what we mean when we talk about finding God's will for our lives. And I think we begin with the words of Paul in, uh, in, in his letter to the Romans, where he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. That is your rational service. Do not be conformed to this world. And by that, he means like the Greek age. And and there's a whole wonderful uh, dichotomy. We could go over about the difference between the uh, Hebrew look at life and the Greek look at life, but Trust me when I tell you we're living in a Greek age. And he says, But be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what Paul's talking about is nothing less than your complete surrender of your flesh to God's service. Now, The most common reason that people don't do this is because they're afraid of the answer. Lord, if I give you my life, what will it cost me? Lord, if I sacrifice myself, What if I don't want to give up what you're asking me to give up? So many people will say to me, I want to find God's call for my life, but I don't want to be a preacher like you. And I don't want to be a missionary in Botswana or something, you know. And that's what people always say. Guess what? I even said that. A long time ago, I said, well, Lord, I want your purpose to be fulfilled in me. I want to be what you called me to be. Unless, of course, it's something I would rather not do. Like being in professional ministry or... God forbid, going to a foreign country and serving somewhere in strange and uncomfortable conditions. And of course, God has a great sense of humor because look where I am and look where I've been. Both of those things have happened to me and I rejoice in it. But let's just consider for a moment what you're not willing to give up. And maybe that's why you haven't really opened yourself to giving God your entire flesh. What aren't you willing to give up? What are you afraid you will lose? I once knew a magnificent pianist, Connie, almost as good as you. I mean that, you are awesome. I've been around great pianists and you are among the top. And this woman asked me very plainly if I thought God would make her give up playing the piano if she surrendered her life to God and I said, Well, I don't know why God would do that, but I can't say that he wouldn't. I just know that if you give yourself entirely to God, he may take what you have already devoted yourself to and reframe it in a way that serves God. But God could just as likely ask you to give it up. But trust me when I say this, if God asks you to give up something, it's so that you can replace it with something of far greater worth something that will be far more fulfilling for you than you could ever imagine. But the question is whether you're willing to risk it. And if you decide that you're willing to risk it, rest assured that the enemy will be right there to try to make you regret it. This you can be sure of as well. Because you see, once you have entirely given your flesh over to the Lord, you are in great danger of an attack from the enemy at your most vulnerable point simply because this is the thing that the enemy wants to have nothing to do with it's the it's the thing the enemy is trying to prevent above all else there's really not much of a threat from a person who calls themselves Christian attends church regularly but is entirely given over to their flesh that's no big threat to the enemy because what God wants is exactly what God put into motion back in the Garden of Eden, and Satan slithered in and disrupted. That's what God wants. God wants us to be back in complete harmony with our Creator. Now, Jan told you there's a lot of evil in the world, and we all know that. But we might ask ourselves, well, why do bad things happen, especially to good people? And the answer is rather complicated, but it really stems from that event in Eden. It stems from the fact that in order for God to have us be entirely what God had in mind for us, we have to do it in the liberty that God has given us, something Christians for ages have called free will. And all that means is is that you have given yourself either to your desires or to your creator's desires. That's it in a nutshell. And when Satan tempted the first people to think more about their own desires than God's desires, the problem escalated and we're still living in it now. What's heartbreaking is is that none of us really find it difficult to understand the evil that's within the people that Janice described who do harm to you and people in the community who would, without hesitation, harm a police officer or someone else serving to care for them. We don't have any trouble recognizing the evil in that, but I wonder if we recognize the evil that drives us to be more devoted to our flesh than to our Father in heaven. People will say, well, you know, what is my purpose in life if it isn't to be a Christian? Well, being a Christian is really just one step along the way to being what God wants you to be, which is entirely and completely like Christ. That when you are seeing Christ's glory and you are living in that glory, when you've entered into Christ's glory, you have become what Christ wants you to be. John Wesley called this perfect love. He thought that people might even be able to achieve that in their lifetime. But in any event, he felt that you would, in at least the remainder of your existence, even if it's the other side of this life, find it possible to enter into Christ's glory entirely. And then when Christ returns, well then we all live in Christ's glory. So the whole idea of giving your flesh over to God, that's, that's the goal, that's where we're all headed. And so how do we find our purpose for uh, our, our lives as God has defined it? By surrendering our flesh. Now I give in to my flesh all the time and do stupid things As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul says in our reading that drunkenness takes uh, and leads to debauchery. Well, I'm not speaking of drunkenness in a literal sense here, but when when you think about what drunkenness does, you begin to understand why the Apostle Paul put drunkenness and debauchery in direct opposition to being filled with the Holy Spirit. Because what drunkenness does is it causes people to be entirely uninhibited and do stupid things, right? Uh, Police officers, what do drunks do? Stupid things, right? You know, that's, that's my definition, not yours. Drunks do stupid things. And that's because they have no inhibition and... Whatever wisdom they lack is more evident when they're drunk than any other time in their lives. So why does Paul put that on opposition uh, to the Holy Spirit? Because he wants you to know when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're giving all of your inhibition to the Holy Spirit rather than spirits. He's saying that you give your will or your control over your life to the Holy Spirit And in that way, you're doing exactly the opposite of what a drunk does when they enter into a spirit of debauchery, which is just stupidity and moral decadence. And so the the thing we're being told is, is that you've got to get the Holy Spirit to take over. So we still do dumb things even after we become Christians, even after we're born again and filled with the Holy Spirit, we will still do dumb things. Thankfully, they don't prevent us from being in the presence of God, and they don't prevent us from becoming less inclined to do dumb things as we grow in the spirit. So how do you find God's will for your life? Well, the first thing you do is you pray, Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I need your spirit driving me every day. I need to make my heart entirely yours. I'm always grateful for the witness of King David in the Old Testament because here was a guy that was a train wreck of a person, if ever there was one. And I would love to tell you about that when I have more time, but rest assured that this man who was described as one who was after, had a heart after God's heart, that he was a man after God's own heart, and yet he screwed up all the time. <laughs> what does that tell me? It tells me that... He is someone who, because of the Holy Spirit's presence in his life, is on a road to a sort of Christian perfection or holiness. That's the road I want to be on. That's not driving on the wrong side of the road. That's driving on the right side of the road. And that's what we're talking about, the other side of the road. I have some British friends who kid us Americans about that all the time. Don't say drive on the right side or the wrong side. Say the left side or the other side or whatever, because they take, jokingly take offense that we call it the wrong side of the road. Anyway, what we're asking ourselves to do here is nothing less than giving our flesh entirely over to the control of the Holy Spirit in the same way that a drunkard gives themselves over to the control of the spirits or the alcohol now you can ask the question how do i find god's will for my life and the answer is really pretty simple jesus said blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied and the psalmist says created me a pure heart O god and renew a steadfast spirit within me meaning that once we've refocused our lives because the holy spirit is now driving We see the whole world in a new light. We see everything in a different way. We watch the news in a different way. We hear the testimony of others in a different way. We hear scripture in a different way. Our whole worldview has been shifted because of the Holy Spirit's charge over our thoughts and our lives. And we suddenly find ourselves craving different things. Our flesh no longer hungers for the things of the flesh. We now hunger for the spiritual things, the eternal things. And this grows within us every year of our lives on earth. Again, Paul says in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, For to us God revealed them through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. Bringing the Holy Spirit into your life is a way to get inside the head of God, or better yet, to let God get inside your head. And that's what we're driving for here. How do you find God's will in your life? Change the way you look at everything by letting the Holy Spirit change your thoughts, your perspective, change the way that you hear and see. And one of the things you will notice more clearly than you ever imagined was you'll see where God is at work in your life, where God is at work around you. You will begin to see what God's already doing and then you will want to join God in what God is doing. So for example, and I've tried to live this way for many decades when someone came to me and said, could we have the car show at the church? Immediately, I saw God at work in that. And I began to say, Lord, how can we join you in this? And then I invited other people to join me in joining God in what God was already doing. And then when something glorious happens, you go, wow, that was a real awesome God moment. Well, of course it was. That was the plan all along. How do you find God's will in your life? Look for it. Just look for it. Just look for where God is at work. If you can't see where God is at work, it might be that you have not had your vision and your hearing corrected by the Holy Spirit. And finally, I just want to tell you that with this same new set of eyes and ears, you will also begin to recognize. I just love this word, so forgive me for using it word nerd time. You will be able to recognize the devil's machinations. Isn't that a great word? It just means you'll see where he's messing with stuff, and you'll recognize it. And you'll say, uh uh-uh. uh, nah, not happening today. See you, Satan. And he's gone. That's, that's what happens when you get new eyes and new ears by the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for burning it into our hearts. Thank you for Jan's word from you. And Lord, just bless everything that the eyes and ears of your people have heard, so they might give you glory and praise, amen.